This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Kevin Kurz is going to join us. Kevin covers the New York Islanders for The Athletic. Uh, rough start, safe to say. We talked so much about the rough start with the Vancouver Canucks. How about the rough start with the New York Islanders? I mean, last season, as we all know, for the Islanders was forgettable, to be generous. We thought, okay, even though Lou Lamarillo really didn't make any moves in the offseason outside of you know, bringing in Romanov from the Montreal Canadiens on, 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 uh, on draft day, day one, uh, they really didn't do anything other than sign some extensions, most notably to Matthew Barzell. There was a coaching change, Outbury Trots in Lane Lambert, and we all thought, okay, last year was the, uh, the outlier year. We know all about the big long road trip the Islanders were on to kick off the season. We all know about you know, the devastating effects of what that team went through um, due to COVID, moving into the new building, all of it, it all added up to a very miserable season for the Islanders. That would be corrected this season. Correct? Not so fast. So far, Kevin Kerr is the bottom of the hour. Ryan Callahan from ESPN will be aboard, and Billy Jaffe from Nesson and the NHL Network co-host, uh, along along with Razor of the uh, the Morning Brew podcast, which is always full value. Uh, Elliot Friedman joins me from Thirty Two Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Fridge. Hey, Merrick, how you doing? Uh, I am doing well. Um, once again, it's another program that. where Are we really- begin. Are you really sure you're doing okay? It took you a long time to answer that. You kind of paused. Uh, I'm thinking about it. I don't want to give you a frivolous answer, but by and large, I'm a, I'm a happy guy. The family's all good. Uh, I get to talk about hockey for a living. Uh, every two weeks, a paycheck shows up and someone yells, Stop Thief. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing okay for each. How about you? Okay, good. I'm glad to hear it. You kind of worried me there because you didn't answer it right away, so... You know, I just, yeah, my work wife, I just want to make sure you're okay. Okay, I, I appreciate that, Mom. I, uh, I, like, the, I like the concern. Um, once again, we're leading off with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, even though the score was only 3-2, to two, Elliot, that was uh, a game that was controlled by the Carolina Hurricanes. Even going into the third period, it's, it's 1-1. But Vancouver was never really in that one. And, you know, Boudreaux afterwards talked about, you know, the fear of winning, something you and I have talked about, a, you know, a number of different times on the podcast. How did you see, I don't want to do this day-to-day, but I kind of feel like we might. How did you feel about the latest Vancouver Canucks loss? Look, I I mean, when you're really struggling, probably one of the worst things you want to see in your, looking across from you from the ice is Carolina. And now you're probably not going to be too thrilled to see, you know, Pittsburgh either especially after what happened last night. And, you know, these are, these are really tough teams. And, um, you know, even Seattle, I know they got to play Seattle first. I would say that's more winnable, but it's not like there's anybody that's overly winnable in your situation right now. Look, I'm, they got smothered last night. The, the one thing is I, I did think they played pretty hard. They – they got smothered by a really good team, by a team that knows how to check and knows how to play defense. Like when, you know, when they're talking about uh, Vancouver not having enough structure, well, you play a team last night that has a lot of structure and is coached by a guy who really defines a lot of what he thinks about can you win a battle. And there's a lot of guys on 
Carolina who know where to go and know how to win battles. I mean, I, I thought I thought they competed harder than they did against Buffalo, which I thought was important, but they just weren't good enough to beat that team. It's it's that simple. Is there a um, – I know you have your formula. I know that Ken Holland always has his formula about U.S. Thanksgiving. You know, today, you know, NHL Central Scouting came out with their, their watch list. And although they didn't do a ranking yet, like Connor Bedard is obviously ranked number one. He's just sort of given a number of players an A ranking or a B ranking, et cetera. You know, today the uh, NHL Central Scouting comes out with, uh, with their identifier list. Um, at what point now, because even though they have two points, they haven't won a game yet. At what point do the Vancouver Canucks have a look at what's happened here and say, well, maybe we're playing for something else this season now. Or are they already there? I, I, I look at it this way, Jeff. Um, so someone sent me a note last night. How many teams since 0506 have made the playoffs with two points in their first seven games? Um, uh, I'm going to say six or seven. No, it's three, I believe. And, okay. and but two of them are have asterisks. Because one is Minnesota, but that was during the, uh, the bubble year. So it's right. a little bit goofy, although they might have made it anyway. And the other is Bruce Boudreaux's Washington Capitals, his, his first year. And that also has an asterisk because that was at a time where the Southeast Division was, yeah, it was really bad. And the winner, like, it's not the same playoff system anymore, right? Like, that was when the Southeast Division was really yeah. bad and one team had to make it. That doesn't exist anymore. So the odds are really against them. And, look, I've thought a lot about what Rutherford said on Saturday night. I watched it again yesterday because I got to write today and I really wanted to think. And the one thing I think more than anything else is that he's not going to make, I think what he's going to do is he wants to make sure that if they do anything major, they don't do it in the middle of a panic and they think it through. Mm Mm-hmm. I, do, do I think he's calling around to see what's available out there? Yes, I do. Do I think they've thought about whether a coaching change could help? Yes, I, I think they have. But I think first and foremost, what he's trying to do is put the brakes and say, we're not jumping into anything right now. So, I mean, I could be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of let this play out over the next few weeks, kind of collect all their information and then decide, like, you know, you know how, what my feeling is. I think that this roster generally is too good to be this bad. I think you have to figure out who's part of the solution and who isn't. And I would just say, look, we're, we're maybe this is the year. And you were the one who pointed this out on the pod. There's, a ton of good prospects at the top of this draft. Go add another oh, yeah. good player to your group and then decide which of these guys you're coming back with next year. 
that's what I would that's what I would do. But the one thing I do think with Rutherford is, I think he's saying, look, this is. I don't know what we expected, but it wasn't this. We can, we've got to make sure we don't do anything stupid out of this. I also play one other thing, Jeff. I wanted to mention was, you know, you and I both praised Rutherford for doing uh, after hours, and I stand by that as a as somebody who works for Sportsnet and had him on the air. It was it was it was it was great television. I know there were some coaches who weren't really happy with what was said. Mm-hmm. I can see the the coaching fraternity not thrilled. Here, here's what um, here's what I wonder about here. Uh, I had a conversation with someone last night who said to me, you know, this might tell us a lot about who's in charge in Vancouver. And I said, what do you mean? And this person said to me, well, the one thing that we know about Jim Rutherford is he's not shy to act. He's not shy to pull the trigger on a deal. We've seen this. This has been his whole career. Don't worry. You know what? We're going to try to trade ourselves out of this thing. And sometimes there's this very old school sort of combination, you know, Cliff Fletcher, Bobby Clark management philosophy of it doesn't matter what you pay as long as you get the player that you want. I can't remember how many times when I used to do the old Leafs lunch show with Bill Waters, he would say, yeah, we may have overpaid for this, but we got the player. Like that's the real, it's not so much asset management. It's just, we got the player. It doesn't matter what you paid. We know this Mm -hmm. about Rutherford. Okay. Alvin seems to be more measured and more patient. This was just one conversation I had with someone. Do you think that there's something to that, that what happens here with the Vancouver Canucks is going to give us an indication of either, okay, it's Rutherford calling the shots or Alvin calling the shots here based on what happens or what doesn't happen? Or maybe am I missing the whole thing and we should just look to the the top of the entire food chain and say, no, you know what? It's Aquilini who's who's in charge of all of it. Look, Rutherford's calling the shots when it comes to the hockey decisions. I, I don't have any, like, you can, look, like, he's the guy who's forward-facing. Uh, he, he's calling the shots. I think that the owner set, um, the owner um, sets the overall philosophy, and, the, and, and Rutherford makes the calls. I think that's the way it works there. Alvin, I know he may call the shots, be the number one person calling the shots someday, but it's it's Rutherford right now. And I would find it hard to believe anybody could convince me otherwise. Um, but again, I, I think, look, there's a lot of debate about the direction of the franchise. I do think the ownership there wants to try to compete. I think there's a few reasons for that. I think it's, I, I think it's because in the past, when the Canucks haven't done well, the attendance has, gone, uh, has tended to go down. I think that the losses from COVID, there's a number of teams that are really nervous about the idea of long-term rebuilds because of that. And, you know, I, I, I think that I, I think there's a, a few different reasons like that. But I think when it comes to the actual decisions of who gets moved or what happens there, I think that's Rutherford's call. Uh, I want to get to the Ottawa Senators here. And before we get to last night's game, and another great game for Shane Pinto and Magnus Helberg as, as well, who, you know, his first a remarkable stat, you know, his first three wins in the NHL come with three different teams, the Rangers, 
uh, the Detroit Red Wings, and now the Ottawa Senators. Uh, but before we get there, uh, Daniel Alfredson had Daniel Alfredson had a press conference this morning. Uh, we know he's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. That's someone that I know that you've always enjoyed covering. Um, yeah. When he was playing in the NHL, uh, someone you always would bang the drum for, like Alfredson belongs in the hall. Alfredson belongs in the hall. You know, one of the things that he mentioned today is just how how nice it is to be around the rink again and to be around the team again. It's always better when the superstars are around the team. Um, and Alfredson was away for a, a long time and. We don't need to get into the reasons why, but just a, a, a quick thought on, on Alfredson. I'm not sure if you saw any of the, the visuals from the press conference or read any of the clips, but uh, I just think that the Sens are always in a better place when Daniel Alfredson or superstars from the past are around the organization. Well, I think that holds true for just about everyone. Uh, you always want your alumni there. Uh, I, I, I think it's it – look, like in Toronto, for example – Dave Keon was estranged from the organization for how long, Jeff? Forty years. Oh yeah, yeah like it, it was forty years before that, and that wasn't good for anybody. Nobody wants that. Uh, you know, I liked. I saw some of the vids this morning of Alfredson getting uh, fitted for the suit jacket. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I always joke about that as a guy who's been heavy myself. Uh, hmm, you know, you're not playing anymore. Are the are the uh, are the are the weight are the lengths the same or have they changed a little bit? Uh, <laughs> I, Alfredson always kept himself in great shape, but uh, you know, actually, my my grandfather was a tailor and uh, it saved his life during the war. So I'm always interested in that kind of thing, um, measurements and suits and stuff like that. So hmm. that was the thing that stuck out for me. Uh, that's awesome. To the Sens last night, uh, Shane Pinto with fifth goal in five games. You know, we were talking, I think it was on the podcast, might have been the radio show, I can't recall, they all bleed together about how, you know, that's, you know, one of the players along with Sanderson, uh, along with Ridley Gregg, the Ottawa Senators don't want to part with in any trade for, yeah. you know, Jacob Chikrin or, or anybody else for that matter. Pinto looks awesome. Like, I'll just be blunt. Shane Pinto looks amazing. And if we all voted on the Calder right now, that guy wins it. Elliot, if you vote today, Rasmus Dallin gets the Norris and Shane Pinto gets the Calder. You're already voting now, right? Like seven games in? Uh, yeah, I was going to do it last week, but I thought it might be a little premature. But I'm, I'm pretty good that uh, <laughs> this trend is going to continue. <laughs> it's going to get 84 goals. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, like, uh, I like Pinto a lot. I, I really do. Uh, I'm, uh, we talked about him yesterday. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan. I mean, Dalene's having a phenomenal year. Like, to me, Dalene being a Norris candidate, like, that's what's supposed to happen. This guy was a number one pick. 100%. Um, and, you know, yeah. and sometimes it takes you longer to get there, and the situation you're in affects it. And Buffalo seems to be going in the right direction, and, you know, he's rising with that. I, I would expect Dalene to be a Norris Trophy candidate because of where he was taken. You know, Pinto, a second rounder. You know, it's just a bit of a shame in his case, Jeff, that if, if he was around last year, how much further ahead would he be? Because like, he was showing last year he belonged. <laughs> he was showing he, belong, he, he belonged, and then he got hurt. So I'm sitting here wondering now, you know, where would he be if he hadn't gotten hurt last year? I think the Ottawa Senators are flitting with a playoff spot. 
right? Because they probably I, I don't think, have that awful start to their start to their season. And also, but just think about what I mean. He can't be doing much better than he is now. But mm-hmm. you know, you, you think about. I, I kind of wonder, like, what? How's their lineup different? Things like that. If you know, if Pinto goes last year. And I was just thinking about this last night. You know, you probably still go get Claude Giroux because of the hometown connection and everything. Oh, yeah. But would you feel the need as much because maybe Pinto's still at center and Stutzla's on the wing or whatever you got there because you have Ooh. a top two center combo? Yeah, I, I think the plan from, from day one for Stutzla was he was going to be a center. Like he was going to do, I mean, this, this, this is classic. I mean, you know, pick, pick, pick your player. Uh, unless you're like a first overall draft pick, you're you're probably coming in as a if, if you're a center and junior, you're playing wing to start your career. I mean that goes back to the first couple of years of Daryl Sittler with the Maple Leafs playing the wing and until he transitioned to center. That story is well told. I think that was the the plan for Spitzel all along. Don't you think? Like I, I looked at the team and I said, yeah, centers are done here. Like what a luxury. Shane Pinto was your third line center. This is like Penguins with you know Crosby, Malkin, and and Jordan Stahl. Like. You well, have I think that that's a little bit premature, position nailed down. No, but you know the theory. You know, you know what I'm going with here. Like you have your yes. three centers locked up. I'm not saying that all these three guys are going into the Hockey Hall of Fame, but you have your centers locked up. Yes, I, I, I agree with you on that. I, I, I think like, like I just ha- I have to say the thing that the thing that I, to me is most exciting about the start of the season. Is it looks like in the East there's some new blood? Yeah. There the East has been well. a little bit boring, especially in the Atlantic Division. There, it's been mm-hmm. the same four teams for several years. At least, I don't know if they're all going to have the staying power. I, 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 I mean, I'd be shocked if all three made the playoffs. I certainly wouldn't bet on that. Right. But at least there's. At least they're going to make it interesting. The Red Wings, the Sabres, and the Sanders, they're, they're going to make it interesting. And, and this is a league right now where the other thing that stood out for me with Ottawa is how many people, and Jeff, I, I, I don't think you're a better. You don't, you don't really wager, right? I'm not, no. no. Well, uh, that's just dumb. But you're not a wagerer. But, uh, just, <laughs> but how many people were taking Ottawa last night when they saw Hellberg as the starter? No chance. Not many, and no, he no, beat no, them. No chance. Not 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 he not beat. against that team. Yeah, not against the team. The, fir- the first night. time no this way. year, they didn't get a point in regulation. The Stars, and yeah. But the thing is, in this league, I think right now, and one of the teams I really look at with this is Winnipeg. Is how many how many points are you getting from your backups? There, it's it's an it's interesting because I almost come shy of calling quote unquote backup goaltenders backup goaltenders now, just because there's no like well he's going to come in and play ten to twelve games and you know our starter is going to shoulder you know sixty five starts that that that, that doesn't fair. happen anymore. Well, that let me change happen. that so, then. Like, it, it really it, it it really is one A one B. Like you're getting you know, if, that, you're, if you're the fair. quote unquote backup, you're getting you're getting thirty games. That's that's fair. Let me change that then. You're number three. Okay. They they got two points against Dallas from their number three. Yeah. That's big. That's true. Like Toronto, yeah. Toronto tried their their number three against Arizona, and it wasn't 
all his fault. The team was sleepwalking through 40 minutes, but they didn't get anything. And you know, when I when I see that, I, I think that's a really good omen for Ottawa. Let me ask one quick question about that game, then I want to move on, and uh, well, we'll stick with goaltenders. Um, God, this player is so good, yet so frustrating. I can only imagine trying to coach him. So skilled. Uh, Dennis Gurianov was scratched. Yeah. For the Dallas Stars. We've we've seen this before. We've seen the frustration. Like, Wasn't there a big part of you that thought at the end of last season that he might be done with the Dallas Stars? And then yes. here it is. And now he's been, you know, now he's been sat down for a, for a game. I don't know if there's necessarily a question attached to this, almost as if, you know, how are you going to articulate your frustration on this player that is sublimely skilled? Dennis Gurianov's skills from an individual basis, individual point of view, he's outstanding. Yet sometimes when the puck drops, it's just not there for Gurianov. I can only imagine being, you know, Peter DeBoer or, you know, Rick Bonus or Jim Montgomery before trying to get through to this guy. Well, I, I think it's pretty obvious, Jeff, that there's going to be a situation here where he's going to need a fresh start and they're going to need a fresh start, right? And this is this is one of those yep. situations where you, you know what Dallas is thinking. They're thinking that this is a talented guy with real skill, as you said, and the last thing we want to see is him pop off anywhere else. But it definitely is getting to that point. Yep. Like last year, around free agency, uh, I, I mentioned that there were some rumors that Dallas was not going to qualify him. And please forgive me if I'm mistaken, but because I don't have my, I'm on a walk and my information is not right in front of me, but I think his QO was 2.9 million. And there were some people who really wondered that uh, if Dallas was going to do that. And they did, they did it because I can understand how you don't want to lose that kind of a talent for nothing. But I think it was a more difficult decision than people really realized. And, you know, ultimately, um, here we are. And, you know, I, I think you can look at it now and say, as you pointed out, it's three different coaches. So you can't say that a coach is ruining this guy anymore. It just, I, I think you're at yeah. a point where you're saying, okay, uh, it, it probably m- it means he needs a better start. But, and this is a but, you know, Dallas will try to trade him based on his potential not what he's done. And as you know, those can be very difficult trades. Like that's what happened what's happened with Edmonton and Pugliarvi. And uh, it, those yeah. are not easy trades to make. You know what I wonder, Fridge, about Gary Anoff here? I wonder in the back of Jim Nill's mind, I wonder in the back of anyone with the Dallas Stars mind, is the name Valeri Nachushkin. Of course, it, I'm sure and they it think is. think to themselves, we can't, we can't let... We can't let this be Nachushkin 2.0. He goes somewhere else, and he's lighting it up, and he becomes a undercover, you know, Con Smythe Trophy candidate, and he wins the he wins the Stanley Cup, and you know he's amongst the leaders in scoring now. All of a sudden, in the back of their minds, there must be, oh man, we can't go through that again. I, I'm with, I completely agree with you on that. I, I completely agree with you on that. I it's it's a great point because. How many people, and this is one where uh, one of my analytically inclined friends hit it out of the park. He said, remember, after he had no goals and no penalty minutes, uh, he said to me, someone's going to steal this guy. 
And I told him day drinking is not a healthy thing. And he was right. <laughs> uh, real quick, before we wrap up here, we, uh, we talked so much about, and rightfully so, we've already had a brief conversation about goaltenders. Um, goaltenders affecting outcomes. So Mackenzie Blackwood was the third star of the week in the NHL. Hot, hot, hot. Uh, yeah. Until last night, the Devils and the Washington Capitals and Blackwood surrenders five on 18, uh, and he gets the hook. Meanwhile, the Devil, like, this, it was such a New Jersey game because they dominate the game, Elliot. 41 shots, but Charlie Lindgren, who last year was outstanding in AHL Springfield, saves it for the Washington Capitals. They double up New Jersey. 6-3 to three is the final. 38 saves for Charlie Lindgren, and Mackenzie Blackwood is getting the hook, and the Devils lose one. And it's the goalie story once again for New Jersey. Well, I think the other thing, too, is I watched the post game, and Ruff really defended Blackwood. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. He wouldn't, he, well, he said they were terrible in front of him. And New Jersey hasn't had too many games like that this year. Even when they haven't won, they've generally outshot people. You know what I didn't realize? That was Lindgren's first NHL win. Someone said to me, is that true? He didn't have, he didn't have, he didn't have any with Montreal. He didn't have any with St. Louis. Hang on, no, he came up and he, he no, hang on. Charlie Ling, Lindgren had wins last year. For must St. be his first. It must be his first capital win. That's what it was. Someone, someone sent me a note saying it was his first NHL win. I said that can't be true. Mm, hang on a second here. This is like out, outstanding radio here. As I look up, Charlie yeah, I know. Lindgren. Sorry, I'm walking around. I don't check anything I say. But, but the one I thought he's got sixteen. He's got sixteen wins. He's. So he's got 16 wins, so just a, just, a, okay. just a little bit off. Yeah, I was a little bit off. See, I'm not known for my accuracy, as everybody knows. But, you know, the, the fact is that I, I thought it was really interesting that Roth defended Blackwood. Does it not seem like New Jersey's played like 80 games already, the way their season's gone? Yeah, you know what? Because every game is drama-filled. It's like Vancouver. It feels like the Vancouver's yes. played 30 games because every, every, like, there's, every period is like its own game. I feel the exact same way about Vancouver as I do New Jersey. Every game is, every period is a game. Um, that's kind of how it feels. Uh, okay, continue your walk. I know you're writing today. Look forward to the blog, and uh, we'll check you out tomorrow here on the program, Fridge. All right, Jeff. Have a great night. There he is, uh, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts, and the blog and the podcast.